I am James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. In my book, The Inconvenient Goddess, Katie Reynolds, a young veterinary doctor from California, and her colleague Renee are sent to war-torn Iraq to find the source of a disease that has been spreading from animals to people. Unexpectedly caught in an ISIS firestorm, Katie is blown back to the ancient Middle East, where she has only her intelligence to keep her alive in the extraordinary and archaic time of the Egyptian pharaohs. Chapter 14, First Steps Katie begins to convalesce in ancient Lalish inside the temple in northern Iraq, where she was discovered. As her body begins to heal, she becomes more aware of the extent of her dilemma. Chapter 14 First Steps Thank you, Katie said when Tafani offered her a bowl of stew. I'd like to sit up. Can you help me, please? She asked in English while demonstrating what she needed by struggling to set herself upright. Tafani watched a moment before realizing what the young goddess wanted. Katie was feeling much better. Sometime in the last day, her appetite returned. I have to find someone to talk to, she thought. I have to find my clothes, to see Alex and Renee, to make sure they're okay. How can I make these people know what I want? Deciding to explore on her own, she slid her body along the thin mattress, feeling for the edge so she could touch the floor with her foot. The bed was really just a cot, a mere six inches off the floor. Nonetheless, the loss of support on her leg caused her broken bones to shift. She could feel the fractured ends rub against each other, and the pain of the movement shot through her. Shit, that hurts, she moaned, rolling backward in agony. Running to help, Rebea and Tiffany firmly pushed Katie on the bed, while shaking their heads, saying, No, no. Intent on getting up, Katie pushed them away with her free arm. The helpers understood and stepped back to see how far the goddess could go on her own. Not very far. As Katie dropped her leg down toward the floor, she fell off the bed and lost consciousness from the unbearable pain. When she woke again, Katie realized Rabea was cradling her head as Tiffany held a bronze chalice to her lips. Both women urged her to swallow the liquid it contained. Katie tasted the elixir, made a face, and shook her head, rejecting it for its bitterness. Tiffany insisted she drink the juice, twisting her facial features into stern visual admonitions to ensure compliance. There was no alternative. Katie acquiesced and forced it down. Tiffany left when the unique concoction exerted its sedative analgesic, and Katie slipped into sleep again. In her deep sleep, Katie saw a face she recognized. It's Polipa. Of course it would be Polipa, Katie told herself. She and Polipa shared a deep, mystical connection since the night they were together in Towak Hospital. Polipa died that night, but Katie pulled her back from the point of no return. They had been spiritually close ever since. Where are you, Shundine? Polipa asked, calling Katie by her Dene name. I feel you, yet I don't recognize where you are. I don't know where I am, Polipa, Katie replied. Please, stay close. I'm so frightened. Of course, I will. Four people were in the room surrounding her bed when Katie woke again. Although confused and disoriented, she was certain Polipa was near, and it gave her solace. Her right arm was free, but her left arm was held firmly against her body with a sling wrapped around her neck. Feeling a burning sensation on her shoulder, 
Katie gingerly touched the bandage, covering the bullet wound. It was warm and soft. The helpers were ministering to Katie's right leg. Holding her foot in his hand, Mudad lifted it up and down, slowly, carefully. This is good stuff they gave me, she thought. I don't feel anything. Moving her uninjured hand down her right side, Katie felt a large, bulky bandage covering her thigh where the bullet wound had torn flesh and cracked bones. These people are helping me, Katie realized, when forearms snaked under her upper body and gently slid her to the end of the mattress. A third person came, and slowly, carefully, they helped Katie stand up. It was hard because she was so broken and unstable. The helpers linked arms to form a cage around her. Mudad told the group to stand her up as straight as they could while he measured from the floor to her armpit with a long stick. He's making a crutch for me, Katie thought, just before she blacked out again. When she went limp, her helpers laid her back on the bed. This was enough for today. When Tiffany returned an hour later, Katie was awake and resting comfortably. Tiffany offered the bedpan, and Katie shook her head no. I must talk to these people and find out where my companions are, she told herself. I must get a message out to the others. <coughs> Katie cleared her throat to get Tiffany's attention. Making a writing motion with her hand, Katie scribbled a message in the air. Tiffany shrugged and shook her head. She didn't understand. Again, Katie wrote in the air, this time more emphatically. Tiffany still did not know what it meant. She held up her hand, signaling for Katie to wait, and left the room. When Tiffany returned with Mudad, Rabea, and Nabil, Katie again wrote in the air. Then she wrote on her arm sling, as if she were signing a cast. Somehow, this triggered recognition in the priest's head. He smiled, nodded, exchanged words with Tiffany, and left. Mudad returned quickly. The goddess wanted to communicate in writing, so he fetched writing materials. Walking to her bed with a satisfied smile, the priest set an eight-by-eleven-inch slab of wet clay in front of her and handed Katie a stick. Looking at the chopstick in her hand and the mud in her lap, Katie's frustration flared. You want me to play arts and crafts? Her voice annoyingly cracked when she spoke. Shaking her head, she pushed the tablet and stick back to Madad and squeezed her thumb and forefinger together to paper thinness. Madad smiled brightly, nodded his head, and left the room again. Katie, now in a foul, pouty mood, looked at the others. Silence permeated the room as the strangers shifted uncomfortably and looked at the floor. I must talk to someone, she said out loud. Here, look here, look at me. She poked her finger into her chest. I'm Katie. My name is Katie. She spoke deliberately and pointed at herself with each word. After a moment, the young man responded. Nabil, he said, and pointed to himself. Yes, Katie exclaimed and pointed at him. Nabil! Robea, the older woman, raised her hand and smiled. The young woman grinned excitedly. I'm Tefani! Tefani! she giggled. Well, that was a start. Everyone looked happy. Katie's frustration level dropped a few degrees as she pointed to things in the room to learn what they were called. What do you call this thing? she pointed to a chair. And what about this? And this? Katie threw herself into this new project, learning yet another language and occupying her mind for as long as her body would let her. Soon I will get a message to Alex, she told herself. I hope they've made progress with the study. I can't waste any more time here. 
Katie wiggled herself upright, smiled at her new friends, and settled into an afternoon of learning. During the next week, Katie made tremendous strides as her body healed, and she filled her mind with a new tongue. A sense of accomplishment came to her as she became comfortable using yet another language. It wasn't Alex's tongue, but it was close enough to Navajo for her to pick it up quickly. The wooden crutch worked as Mudad hoped. With her left arm bandaged to her chest to stabilize her collarbone and the support of the crutch device, Katie was soon shuffling about for more than five minutes at a time. But as the pain lessened and she became more alert, her anxiety increased. Things are bizarre here, she thought. And why is no one looking for me? Where the hell is Renee? She became more aware of her surroundings, and it seemed she was in an entirely backward, foreign place. They didn't even have electricity. And when she mimed talking on the telephone, they were totally dumbfounded. Katie felt trapped in a horrible dream. Is this the only place they could leave me to recuperate? Unanswered questions kept piling up, especially when she was alone. What about the quarantine camp, where lots of people could help? Why am I not there? And, oh, God, where are my friends? Katie was comforted when Tafani or Rebea came in. They wanted her to be well. Katie could feel it. She soon became friends with these two ladies of Lelish. After a few weeks, they were able to converse haltingly with one another. In the meantime, Mudad ordered papyrus and ink from Nineveh. Papyrus was a very unusual request. None of the scribes or priests he knew exhibited such disdain for writing on clay, yet here was Ishtar, refusing to write on anything but papyrus. When do you expect the papyrus to arrive? Nabil asked Mudad, when Ishtar had been their guest for almost three weeks. Last week. There have been several trips to Nineveh and back since I sent my request, but papyrus is rare, you know, like Canaanite purple dye. And when are we expecting King Tushrata? Oh, now he is not coming, Nabil. Queen Uni will come instead, with her niece, Citri. More problems, Nabil frowned. We never see good things from those two. Walk with me, Nabil, Mudad said. Let us review our options. They strolled down a stone pathway, side by side, reviewing strategy. The wind that brought the snow had stripped all the leaves from the trees. As they walked, they stepped on dead, crackly leaves, mixing with slushy, icy snow. I fear the queen will pressure us to adopt Ahura Mazda, Mudad said in a low voice. He had reason to be fearful. Uni never wasted an opportunity to press her god into every conversation. You're not suggesting we abandon Ishtar, Mudad? No, Nabil. We are Ishtar's children. We must do whatever is needed to protect her from Queen Uni. Nabil nodded in agreement. Do you think they will try to discredit Ishtar? Yes, I do. And we must protect her, especially now, in her weakness. We must do whatever we can to keep Queen Uni and her niece from entering Ishtar's chambers. This is our sacred duty. Do you agree, Nabil? I do, sir. We will keep her safe until she is well again. And we must also guard her talisman, Nabil. Uni is cunning, and she will certainly be looking for it. Think hard on this. How can we hide it? Nabil thought for a moment before his face lit up with inspiration. I know. How about if we make it into a piece of jewelry and we can... Their voices faded as they walked, leaning into each other, deep in conversation, down the rapidly freezing path. End of chapter.
Thank you for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and select Katie Becomes Ishtar. That'll take you to the Ancient Katie series of books. Inconvenient Goddess can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book, or an e-book, as well as an audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com.